This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. One of the biggest employment and housing challenges in Southeast Michigan is the box, that literal checkbox that's part of some employment applications that asks about felonies in an applicant's past. It can be a huge barrier to opportunity and important second chances. And we want to talk today about two different approaches being undertaken, one by the city of Detroit and the other by the University of Michigan. And we're going to start with the city, where city council just unanimously approved a ban-the-box ordinance for people who are seeking rental housing. Joining us to talk about that ordinance and its importance is Janae Ayer. She is a Detroit City Council member at large and was sponsor of that new ordinance requiring most rental housing in the city to follow a ban-the-box policy for former inmates. Janae, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, good morning. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. Uh, Let's uh, start with uh, what this legislation will do and require. So overall, the uh, Fair Chance Ordinance is going to require the most rental housing uh, in the city to follow a ban-the-box type policy for returning citizens. Uh, There will only be a few rental units that will be exempted, and those are for small landlords uh, with a portfolio of less than five units, mainly because it allows us to do better enforcement and just better tracking Um, The ordinance covers everything from apartment complexes to single-family homes. So that's just, uh, I guess, a quick synopsis of what it is. So I I wonder uh, if you could talk some about how big a problem this was in the city. I don't think most people would necessarily think of rental housing as the kind of thing that is affected by by the box. Absolutely. So um, four years ago, as of yesterday, I, I became a council member, and it was important for me to make sure that we started the Returning Citizens Task Force. One, because to your point, most people don't think about it because it doesn't necessarily or directly affect them. So when we talk about Detroit in particular, we have almost 200 people a month that return back to this city um, from being incarcerated. Wow. wow. And Just that number? Right. 200 a month. 200 a month. And so that doesn't take into account the folks that were already here the month before. And we as a society tend to believe that people still have relationships with family or friends or what have you, but that may not be the case. And oftentimes when you go in to get housing, you are denied based simply on your criminal record. And that is not just germane to people that have just returned, but it may be people that have been here five, 10 years after serving their uh, sentence. So we had to do something to address it. And and landlords putting this on their applications. Sure. What's what's the, the driver there? I mean, is it is it that... Uh, is it the same as employers, for instance, who's, who's, who say, uh, maybe I don't trust somebody who who has been in, in prison? You know, I, I would say so. I mean, it took three and a half years to get this legislation together because we wanted to be very sensitive to the needs of this particular community, but also the right for landlords to be able to police their own property. And so I think we struck an equal balance, but I know that a lot of folks do put it on there because we're just not sure, is a person really rehabilitated and do I want that liability? Yeah. Uh, So uh, um, this focus on rental properties is not the only thing that you guys have been doing. Talk about some of the other ways 
that the box really interferes with uh, opportunity in the city. So what the city did a few years ago was we got rid of the box in our own hiring practices because how can we ask for any other entity to do so if we aren't willing to do it first? Um, we've also started with the Workforce Development Committee just looking at ways that we um, one, employ, and two, educate folks that are coming back home because, again, that number is stifling when you think about how many people that is. And I always say, as it pertains to just our community as a whole, if you have a person that's incarcerated, it is not just the effect on that person. It's their family, it's their block, and ultimately their community. So when we take actions to make it better, we make it better for all of those actors as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Janae Arish. She's a Detroit City Council member at large and sponsor of a new ordinance that requires most rental housing in the city to follow a ban-the-box policy for returning citizens. In other words, you may not ask people who are applying for housing whether they have a criminal past. Uh, This fits into a larger context of all kinds of opportunities that uh, are are determined sometimes uh, by someone's uh, criminal record, uh, job opportunities, education. Uh, in a little bit, we're going to talk about a controversy that's brewing at the University of Michigan, which recently went the opposite direction of the city of Detroit and has added uh, a box asking about uh, felony past uh, to Uh, applications for employment, and applications to study there. Uh, uh, If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Do you agree that employers and landlords and even universities should be forced to keep questions about criminal history off their applications? Or do you think that decision should be up to them? Uh, We especially want to hear from you if you are either a former inmate who has dealt with these issues, or if you're an employer or a landlord. What do you think of this approach. How do you handle these things in your businesses? As always, the number is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, uh, and uh, we will work you into the conversation. Uh, Janae, I wonder I wonder if you can talk about how this will work. If, if I'm somebody applying for rental housing in the city and I think uh, this ordinance is being violated, what do I do? So I'm glad you asked that. So let's just kind of walk through the way that it will go. So um, let's say it's you, you're applying at a property that I own. I can't ask you until I've deemed that you are qualified to rent. So once I deem that you're qualified, then I go through my normal background check. Um, at that point, if the applicant does have a criminal record, they may be denied housing only for crimes relevant to the safety of other people, um, like violent crimes resulting in a lifetime registry on the sex offender list, uh, arson, etc., or felonies that are committed within the past 10 years or resulting in imprisonment in the last five years. So at that point, if the landlord wants to deny an applicant based on their criminal history, they must allow the applicant to provide evidence of rehabilitation uh, that would show they are a good candidate despite their record. At which point, if the applicant does still feel that they've been discriminated against, that is when we've joined this partnership with CREO, and that's the Civil Rights Inclusion and Opportunities Office, 
uh, and the department will do the investigation. If a violation is then found, the Detroit Police Department will issue a misdemeanor ticket, and then we can go and adjudicate with 36 districts. So, so, so I mean, it's potentially a crime now to to do this in a different way. Uh, from discrimination. This. Yeah, and and uh, you know, when you're explaining that, I mean, I think uh, the level of thought mm-hmm. that you're asking these landlords to indulge. I think there's something very important about that. This is not saying that you can't protect your other tenants from somebody who who might be dangerous. This is not saying you have to put up with uh, anything uh, in your units. It's saying you've got to give people a fair shot and a fair hearing about what their pasts look like. Absolutely. And 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 I think that the um the title of the ordinance is so apropos because we're saying the fair chance ordinance. We're not saying, hey landlords, you've got to do this and you have to allow no, but let's give everybody a fair shot. So then at that point if you're not qualified, you are not qualified and you have to look further. But as far as giving someone an opportunity that's what we're trying to create. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. We especially want to hear from you if this is an issue that affects you, either because you're a former inmate, somebody who has a criminal record and runs into this box on applications that asks about your past, or if you're an employer or a landlord, how do you handle uh, these issues in your business. Uh, you can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag uh, Detroit Today. We'll work you in. Uh, we got a lot of folks already who want to talk about this. Let's start with Stuart in Troy. Stuart, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, I'm a lawyer, and I've been uh, practicing for over 30 years, and I'm a landlord myself, and most of my clients are in the real estate business. And I can tell you that there's going to be long-term ramifications of this if it gets passed for the simple reason that you have people coming out who are convicted of criminal sexual conduct. And you don't want somebody in your building who's been convicted of criminal sexual conduct because your other tenants are not going to want to live in that building or they're going to move out of that building because this man is either a convicted rapist or a pedophile. And, and you, know, you have people that are convicted of violent crimes like rape or aggravated you know, or, or, or felonious assault. People don't want to live near others who are convicted of these terrible crimes. And there are ramifications, long-term ramifications, so, from making these bad decisions. Yeah, so Stuart, uh, maybe you didn't hear, but uh, Councilman, Councilwoman Ayers did explain that there, there's, uh, you're able to, to consider those kinds of things when in the application, even with the ordinance. You don't have to just take anybody into the into the the unit that you're renting, uh, but you do have to give people that sort of initial fair shot. And and uh, Janae, I think that's part of the confusion sometimes with right. this issue is no one's saying you should just have to put up with anything. Uh, they're saying you have to give people a fair opportunity. Absolutely, and and thank you, Stuart, for calling in. Um, and I'm. I'm upset that you may have missed the the explanation, but um, you can always feel free to contact my office and we'll make sure to get you a copy of the ordinance just so that you have um, all of the nuances and all of the details. But for anybody else that may be listening that still feels the same way that uh, Stuart did, again, we are not saying that the landlord cannot be the landlord of his, his or her property. We're simply saying that we want to give people a fair shot. And so you do still have those parameters by which you can determine 
who's living in your home. But I do want to thank you, Stuart, for calling in. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, Stuart, I really appreciate the call uh, and that perspective. Let's go to Abdul in Fraser. Abdul, welcome to Detroit today. Good morning, Stephen. Hey, and, uh, the speaker. I didn't get your name. I'm working. That's but, she's uh, a council I member. I just wanted <laughs> to say that I, I'm a seller, and I've talked to you before, um, Stephen. But it never affected me because I'm a skilled detailer. I'm one of the best in the business. So I've always been able to make some money. My will has always taken care of me. But there's a lot of people that go to jail for 10 years, five years, not just men, Mm -hmm. women. And they come home and they can't provide for themselves. So what do you do if you can't provide? You work back to the wrong things you've been doing. Mm -hmm. You've got to give somebody a second chance. Don't throw them in the fire and they just get out of the fire. You get them out the fire and throw them back in there. And I don't think it's right. You know, and you're going to see these children, see their parents become productive citizens in society. But if you don't give them a chance, how this little guy, look, his daddy come home, they don't have a place to stay. They stay in the front. Mm-hmm. He thought when daddy come home, we're going to get a place to stay. Daddy can't get a job. Daddy can't get a place to stay. I just don't think it's right. Yeah. Respect and change it, right? Abdul, uh, I, I really appreciate uh, you calling and, and talking about this. I, I wonder if you could talk a little more about, I mean, as you say, you've got a, a, a skill that people really want and need, uh, and so you haven't had a problem with employment. But have you run into other places that your criminal record has has sort of become an issue or been the reason that you couldn't do something? Last night, me and my wife and my two daughters went to the movie. And uh, I told my wife, I said, you know, um, Home Depot, you know, Home Depot behind there, you probably can get a job because we're trying to do some things, a little part-time job working a few hours. She said, what about you? I said, they're not going to hire me. This mm-hmm. just happened last night. And she said, I said, I'm a seller. I say, I, I walk in there, I fill out the application, whatever, too, and they see it's on my record. They ain't going to hire me. And mm-hmm. it's sad. Wow. It's wow. sad, man. I mean, it, 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 it hurts. It hurts. Absolutely. As a human being, as a father, it hurts. But I did this to myself. But do we continue on holding this double accounting? I've never had a felony where I had a gun or a heart crime or mm-hmm. done anything like that. His brothers to come out. Or in jail, or come out of jail. Can't even vote. I can't even vote, Stephen. Hmm. I want to vote, man. You're you're supposed to be able to vote here in Michigan. You can. Uh, You should be able to go and register and uh, and cast your ballot. So, but Abdul, I I I really appreciate the call, and I really appreciate. Mm Again, the perspective of, of somebody who, you know, who struggles with this, and and it, that's that's a reminder of how real this issue is in this community. You know, Stephen, I, I think it's funny too, as as we just kind of look at this and look at how it morphs. As we look at our society today, when we have um, people with medical marijuana cards, when we talk about recreational being uh, legalized, we have so many people that have been incarcerated based on drug crime. So how do we then make the tide even for folks and say, hey, okay, you were in for X amount of years based on having weed, and now you come out, should you not be able to get housing? Because now it's okay for people to have weed. Right. And those are the type of things that, you know, we thought about as we were crafting this legislation. Uh, we thought about women in particular when they come home. 
we assume that there's a halfway house. There aren't any because the liability is so great. And so what does that leave? It leaves a mother who potentially does not have her children or they are given back to her with no place for them to, to live. So we just create and continue the cycle of chaos. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, again, Abdul, I really do appreciate your call and your, and your perspective. Let's go to William in Pontiac. William, welcome to Detroit today. Yes, how are you doing, sir? Good, how are you? Good, good. I just want to um, kudos to the, the Detroit City Council. Uh, Thank you. We're actually uh, working to uh, stop the discrimination of uh, returning citizens as it relates to uh, housing, as well as employment. Um, I just want to give you a little backdrop of who I am. Currently, I work for Wayne State University School of Medicine. Um, I spent over, I was sentenced to a 20 to 30 year drug sentences back in 1991. Oh my goodness. I served 10 and a half years uh, for that crime. Uh, moved back to Flint. I got a master's from University of Michigan, Flint, a master's from Wayne State University. And then I moved to the city of Pontiac where I was able to find housing, mm-hmm. uh, a rental agreement. But at the same time, when I was done renting in Birmingham, I was trying to move closer to my job in Wayne State. And I was in every apartment complex that I tried to get in actually denied me uh, a leasing agreement. Mm-hmm. Even though I made plenty of money, I totally turned my life around, had multiple degrees. I have five college degrees right now. Wow. And I was totally discriminated uh, by um, housing complexes in the city of Detroit. Wow. William, yeah. I, yeah. And where did you ultimately find find housing? Well, actually, I ended up, um, I was also doing a little bit of buying homes at the time as well. So I ended up buying a home. In, in the city of Pontiac, where I paid cash for. Mm. Um, I'm an elected official in the city of Pontiac. I, I serve on the school board my second term. Mm. So I'm able, I've been doing all these positive things for years. And, it, mm-hmm. and, it, and, and, it, and a lot of my friends that told me that, you know, when it comes to uh, leasing, we've been discriminated against. And I, was, and I wouldn't believe in them until it happened to me. Wow. Yeah. William, I really appreciate, again, the, right. the call you, and the William. perspective. Uh, Nay, that that gets right to the core <laughs> right. of this ordinance, right? Absolutely. That uh, that uh, somebody who's made a mistake but atoned for that mistake mm-hmm. and and turned their lives around is automatically disqualified. I, and again, I, you know, I have to admit, I didn't know mm-hmm. that this was a big deal uh, in the city of Detroit. That this was something that happens apparently with some regularity. It, it really does. And William, thank you again for calling in and uh, giving us your story because your story is it's not that it is uh, one that's unheard of, at least in the line of work that we're doing, because I hear that story so often. How long is my mistake supposed to follow me? And I just believe that if we're going to be a world-class city, we have to have some world-class legislation that's inclusive of everyone. Yeah. Okay. Janae Ayers, uh, Detroit Thank City you, Council sir. Member at Large. Great to have you here with yes, us on Detroit Today. Uh, we'll catch up with you uh, sometime soon. Right. Up next, we're going to talk more about Ban the Box, a similar conversation that's happening right now at the University of Michigan, which is going the opposite direction, maybe being a little more strict than they were before about people with criminal pasts. Uh, stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Chris in Dearborn, Carolyn in Royal Oak, Patrick in Detroit, we will get to you next. Uh, also, remember, if you have to miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. You go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts, you can download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you and listen when you are ready. I will be right back with more Detroit Today.
You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. We want to continue our discussion about the box, the requirement that felons disclose their criminal past on applications for things like employment or housing or education. And in this segment, we're going to take a look at a new policy at the University of Michigan. People applying to work at U of M or attend the school will now have to disclose if they've been convicted of a felony. The university says that's not going to lead to automatic denials, but there are some advocates who are pushing back, saying that the policy indulges unfair discrimination. Joining us now to talk more about what's going on at U of M is Heather Ann Thompson. She is professor of history at the university and author of the Pulitzer Prize winning book, Blood in the Water, which is about the Attica prison uprising. Heather, welcome back to Detroit Today. Great to be here. Always great to have you. Uh, Also with us is Natalie Holbrook. She is the program director for the American Friends Service Committee and um, the Michigan Criminal Justice Program. Natalie, welcome to Detroit Today. Um, So let's start with what is happening at U of M. Uh, What has been announced and I guess why has the university taken this stance uh, in, in, in at this point? Well, what's happening is that we have already had a policy at U of M where anyone who was applying to the university either to be a student or to work at the university had to undergo a background check. And we were already alarmed about that. And there'd already been uh, work on the ground to uh, to uh, not just question that, but hopefully to rescind that. And then uh, last week, uh, there's now a new policy that really uh, doubles down on this other policy. And in this one, it means that even if you are already a faculty member, already a student, uh, already an employee, uh, should you, for example, be pulled over and even charged with a crime, uh, you are now duty-bound to disclose that and or and or convicted, but even charged. And so our feeling is that this is absolutely going in the wrong direction of what most uh, universities, but also uh, places of employment and cities, the, the direction we need to be going in is away from these policies. And, and we're here again. And to be honest, we are not exactly sure why. Uh, we could speculate, but uh, until we actually hear a formal response to our open letter to the university on this issue, uh, we are we cannot really even say why this has now come to light. Yeah. And talk about, uh, Natalie, this open letter that has been written to the university about this issue. So the faculty that is developing the carceral state project at the University of Michigan wrote an open letter to the university questioning where this policy is coming from and also why in the world does it need to exist at all. And they, I think at this time, have 1,600 signatures and would like a response from the university. I'm a community organization. Um, that's who I represent. And as a community organization, we've partnered with the University of Michigan in both formal and informal ways throughout the 40 years of our program's existence. And as a community organization, we're very concerned about the university moving backwards instead of forwards when the rest of the country is actually becoming more enlightened about the problem of giving um, people with felony convictions perpetual punishment. So actually, Um, holding them to the fire more closely than other people are. Um, Because in all reality, none of these policies create safety. 
they don't create a secure uh, campus environment. They actually just are discriminatory and get people who are already caught up on the margins even more caught up on the margins. Hmm. Uh, Heather, you're a professor at the university. Can you talk about uh, the, the kinds of safety concerns that perhaps the university is uh, is using as a way to, to sort of justify this this policy? What What's going on sure. there? Sure. Well, I mean, I, I think that one only needs to look at the news to see that there is a serious problem uh, in society in general, but uh, on university campuses in particular, uh, with sexual violence, with racial violence, with uh, folks being able to feel safe as they walk from uh, one building to the next or safe in their dorms. And so we in the Carceral State Project and certainly Natalie in uh, AFC, AFSC <laughs> feel uh, extremely uh, strongly that safety is a paramount concern to all of us. Uh, and, you know, we'd really love to have the conversation about how to make campuses safer. Uh, and we suspect that it is in the wake of the Michigan State controversy with Larry Nasser. Hmm. We suspect that there's also been uh, issues like this on our own campus, that this is perhaps a motivator, although, again, we have not heard why this has really happened. And uh, we just really invite the conversation with the university because the one thing that we know, uh, we know it conclusively, we've done the research on it, uh, not just at the university where there is a real a core of folks who work on this, uh, but but really nationally, uh, we know that this these policies have really nothing to do with public safety, believe it or not. And as a community member, I can see where maybe even some of our listeners are thinking, but why wouldn't that make us safer to, to know who on our campus has committed a felony? And, you know, one thing to think about is that that policy, had it been at Michigan State, would never have stopped the sexual abuse of those young women at the hands of Larry Nazar, for example. He didn't have a criminal uh, He didn't have past. a criminal conviction. And in fact, some of the worst sexual violence and worst racial violence goes on uh, among people who've never had been in a, inside of a courtroom. So we need to think about more holistic policies to really make our community safer. And this one instead actually uh, makes returning citizens who have by our own laws, by our own ethos in this country, served their time. They have done what we uh, as a society have asked them to do. And yet we're deciding that those are the people we will perpetually punish in the name of safety. So, so I know from the time I spent at Ann Arbor and the time I've spent, uh, you know, covering the university and, and I serve on a, a few boards there, um, uh, the administration is really responsive to what parents are concerned with, right? Mm -hmm. uh, th this idea that uh, that if parents say, "Hey, we need you to do this," uh, they're more likely to, to to react. Is that a possibility here? That that uh, this is about uh, reassuring parents that when they send their kids to Ann Arbor to school, they're they're not as worried about. Well, this uh, is why I, I'm so glad you mentioned that, Stephen, because this is why we really need a very public discussion about what this policy is. Because of course, parents are going to be concerned about their students, and uh, and and of course, we should give them the information they need to both reassure them, but also to assure them that this policy is not going to accomplish what they hope it might. But I think it's actually bigger even than the parents, and we need to be aware of that. These are you know. Michigan is one of the largest employers in our region. This is going to impact everyone who wants to work in the dormitory cafeteria, anyone who wants to work uh, literally in any building, in any facility. 
And what is even almost more ironic is that, and Natalie can speak to this, is that this is a university who really would still love to tap into those populations mm. who have suffered the criminal justice system without letting them in and without employing them. And this is, you know, this is a point that Natalie's made. I'll let you speak to yeah. that, Natalie. It's I mean, really uh, ironic. Yeah, there is some real thick irony, I think, in in the way in which U of M students participate in your program, uh, which, which brings them into contact with the people who are in prison. But now uh, they're saying those people could not be students or employees at the U. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately it can be a form of exploitation, right? You have not just students who participate in service learning projects out in the community that where they're connected to people in prison or going into prisons for school credit, but you also have faculty who research this population and who put out evidence-based ideas into the world. And then to say that we can research these folks, we can use these folks to teach our students, and then we're not going to let them come be students or let them be um, staff at our university is incredibly problematic to me, especially because in my 16 years of work at the American Friends Service Committee, I have met some of the brightest and most amazing minds and prisons in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And um, and we're doing ourselves a, a disservice to not let them get into one of the most elite and beautiful institutions in Michigan, which is the University of Michigan. Wonderful learning happens there. And I think that um, people who've done time in prison should have access to it if they have the minds to do it and who if they have the ethics and and um, and good moral values, which they do. Getting caught up in the system actually has nothing to do with gauging somebody's morality or their ethical um, ways in the world, right? People get caught up in the system because of racism, classism, all kinds of other things that are going on in this country. And unless we face that, unless we really look at white supremacy, um, and face the way these policies have been built, which is on the backs of black people and people of color, then it's a it's a big problem. And I see it now that this is more restrictive instead of less restrictive is exploitation. Mm. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guests are Heather Ann Thompson. She's a professor of history at the University of Michigan, author of the Pulitzer Prize-winning book, Blood in the Water, about the Attica prison uprising. Also with us is Natalie Holbrook, a program director at the American Friends Service Committee, Michigan Criminal Justice Program. Uh, we're talking about a new policy at the University of Michigan that stiffens the requirements for people who have criminal pasts. Uh, now, in addition to standing through a background check, uh, the university is saying you've got to disclose up front uh, if you are applying for employment or to study at the university, uh, whether you have a felony in your background. Uh, we're talking about this idea of the box uh, in, uh, in specific at the University of Michigan, but in more generally about uh, our society and places where we say to people who are returning citizens uh, from prison uh, that their opportunities will be limited maybe forever because of the mistakes they made in the past. What do you think about that idea? What do you think is about what is going on at the University of Michigan? Uh, what do you think about is happening here in the city of Detroit where they're taking the opposite tack? City Council just unanimously passed an ordinance that prevents landlords from automatically disqualifying or asking people about their criminal past. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. 1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today 
and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's go to Brett in Ypsilanti. Brett, what's on your mind? Hi. Um, thanks for having this conversation today. Um, it's important and bringing light to the two policies. Uh, as a University of Michigan graduate student, um, I was really shocked to get the email that had this policy in it. Hmm. Um, it was from an HR person that I had never gotten an email from before, um, and there was no advance notice regarding the policy or opportunity to create dialogue for students, um, and it didn't come from Schwitzel or the provost. Um, and I felt like given what has happened on the campus in terms of racism in terms of just the failure to meet some of the goals that university put on itself for racial equity. Um, it makes me very angry as a student, um, and especially as a white student who doesn't want to contribute to, as the your uh, speaker was saying, all these systemic structural injustices and those issues. And I feel like university should be basing its policies on research because it's a research institution. And its policies not supported by the literature. Hmm. Um, Detroit's policies supported by the literature, and this is just going to put a chilling effect on qualified people who just don't want to put in the effort because they feel like they're going to be discriminated against, rightfully so. Yeah. Um, so. As a student, I'm just really upset, and I wish the university would address it, but I feel like they're not doing anything. And we signed a really long letter to an opposition to this um, with the um carceral project mm -hmm. and yeah do it just like more action so if anybody from u of m's listening you know <laughs> do something about it yeah. brett no i really appreciate the call and the and the perspective there of of somebody who's a student at the university and got this email that is an extraordinary way for the university to announce that policy uh, and again heather it 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 raises the question of whether there was uh, some specific inspiration for this, right? The, right. The something happened or uh, perhaps there was uh, some other trigger that we're unaware of that, that caused the university to say, we've got to we got to Well, our this. position is that there, there would be no trigger, uh, no trigger actually, that would justify this policy. And, and that is not to be cold hearted. It is just simply to say that we already know from countless studies. Uh, and again, this is a research based question. This is not an emotional question that these policies do not do what universities or employers hope that they will do, which is make their communities safer. So if we begin with that, then whatever triggered it, and again, we don't know, uh, that would not lead us down this path. And the fact that, as this grad student calling in notes, the fact that there was no consultation, we at Michigan interestingly have an unusual wealth of not only scholars who work on this issue, but formerly incarcerated students and faculty and employees. And we could have imagined uh, a task force. We could have imagined a real discussion about how to make our community safer that would have led us in a very different direction. And just to be clear, uh, two things. One, that this new policy is actually for even existing this is not even about applying or getting in. This is about these are folks who are already there mm -hmm. to disclose, even if they are charged with a felony. And for our listeners who may not be aware and think, well, you know, if you get charged with a felony, you know, you're on your own. Let's be really clear: felonies include a staggering number of charges that would that should keep us all up at night <laughs> as we are, you know, driving uh, home from the bar with maybe one too many drinks or, or whatever leads us to get charged with something that actually uh, is 
serious and, and, you know, we would have to deal with it, but it has no bearing on whether or not we can serve food in a dormitory, whether or not we can study Nietzsche, whether or not we can teach <laughs> undergraduates about the Civil War. And, and that's really what we're talking about here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, again, Brett, I really appreciate the call and the comments. Let's go to Marshall here on the Wayne State campus. Marshall, what's on your mind? Okay, what, what I would like to um, bring up is that um, it has been over 30 years since I have been incarcerated, and I'm still being discriminated against and, um, and housing. I currently live somewhere because I had a personal interview with the manager. They said, okay, we'll we get this guy a chance. And so right now, I'm, I'm currently a senior citizen, and I'm trying to find housing for my mother now because she has health issues. But the point I want to make is that this situation... Um, as a result of Bush Jr. trying to pass the Homeland Security Act, it opened up the floodgates after 9-11 when everybody wanted to hop on the bandwagon and be gung-ho about, you know, be security conscious. It opened up the floodgates to um, discrimination and housing. They said if you have a felony, you just can't get in. And HUD has since, um, I think last year, updated their paperwork where they really don't ask you that question, not unless you have a um, felony against um, women, senior citizens, drugs, or if you're on the sex offender um, list, mm-hmm. which is understandable, but I have a nonviolent crime. Right. Uh, uh, and it, it's sort of what's going on now is a little residual effect of, of what went on dur- a, during 9 11 yeah. after that. You, you, I'm clear about what I'm saying, right? Yeah, Marshall, Marshall I think that's a really interesting. Uh, uh, point to, to interject in the conversation here, and I, I want to give Heather Ann Thompson, who is a historian, <laughs> a chance to talk about, uh, was that an inflection point? Uh, was 9-11 a, 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 an event that we saw turn things policy-wise uh, in, in, uh, more against uh, people who have uh, criminal pasts? Well, absolutely. Uh, I mean, sadly, that's not the only thing, because even in this country, well before 9-11, going back to the violent crime bill of Bill Clinton and back before that to Reagan and back before that all the way to Johnson, we have been doubling down on this idea that folks who uh, are have been convicted of crimes are no longer citizens or no longer uh, have any rights once they've served their time. But 9-11 did something very devastating, which was that it really, uh, it, it allowed uh, for all kinds of leeway with regard to surveillance, with regard to intrusion into people's private lives, and particularly for Muslim communities, but but not only. I mean, it really, it really sort of cemented the racialization of that uh, surveillance and and um, and certainly, uh, it has been it has been felt on campuses across the country, and it's been felt in cities across the country. So I think your caller is right to 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 link these things, and and notably, um, it's a great opportunity. That's the thing; it's a great opportunity for us to not just revisit policies uh, such as the box, but to revisit the reach of uh, the surveillance state in general with uh, with other communities uh, post nine eleven. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Heather Ann Thompson and Natalie Holbrook. And we're going to be joined by a returning citizen who hopes to get into U of M now, a Detroit client advocate with the Bail Project and the Detroit Justice Center. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Michael in Detroit, Tracy in Ann Arbor, Carolyn in Royal Oak, Chris in Dearborn, Mary in Southfield. We will get to you next. Stay with us on Detroit Today.
Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about the box, the literal checkbox that appears on applications for employment and housing and education uh, that requires people to disclose whether they have felony convictions uh, in their backgrounds. We're talking about the discriminatory nature of that box and two local uh, developments uh, with the box. One in the city of Detroit, where uh, the city council is moving to try to eliminate that barrier for returning citizens. The other at the University of Michigan, where they have recently tightened their rules and required more disclosure of people who want to study there or who want to work there. My guests are Heather Ann Thompson. She's a professor of history at the University of Michigan. Uh, also with us, is Natalie Holbrook, a program director at the American Friends Service Committee, Michigan Criminal Justice Program. And I want to welcome somebody else to the conversation now. Uh, Asia Johnson is a returning citizen who hopes to get into U of M. She is a Detroit client advocate with the Bail Project and the Detroit Justice Center. Asia, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. Sure. So let's start with, uh, with your story. Uh, tell us about uh, being a returning citizen? I've been home for about four and a half months now, and, you know, the road hasn't been easy, especially with finding housing. Um, it was nearly impossible to find housing, both in Washtenaw County and in Wayne County. Specifically because people didn't want to rent to you because of your past? Because of my felony conviction. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, no matter how long you've been home, whether it's four months or 40 years, you still face the same discrimination. Um, at times, you know, they ask for you to pay for these applications into these apartments. You pay for the application only to be told, no, you cannot live here because of your felony conviction. Mm. No. And, and what was the nature of your, of your felony conviction? Uh, my felony was a violent crime. I was convicted of second-degree murder. It was um, a mental health issue, a mental health crisis that I had. I was sentenced to nine years in MDLC. And I served my time. I grew. I learned a lot about myself. I was in therapy. It was a it was a life changing experience. Um, it's sad that it took that to make me see um, the path that I needed to be on. But I am a strong believer in that everything happens for a reason. And now you hope to study at the University of Michigan, and uh, this new policy might be a reason that you aren't allowed to do that. Yes, and prior to my um, prison sentence, I was a student at University of Michigan-Dearborn, and I never, ever gave much thought to the question that they ask you, have you ever been convicted of a felony, because I hadn't been convicted, and I never gave much thought to all of the thousands of people who are applying who have to check that box. But now, coming home as a returning citizen, having to check that box means that I am subject to discrimination, scrutiny, re-traumatization, um, having to go through the details of my crime once again, and that that is really difficult. Can you talk about the way that makes you feel with regard to uh, the, the, the whole idea of trying to to do things in a different way? I mean, is it is it, I mean, I know it would be discouraging, but does it reach the level of uh, of frustration where you think that this is just not worth doing? No, it doesn't reach that level. It doesn't. No, I press forward. I fight more. Um, for the women who are still inside who I know will be coming home, I try with my work to 
make the road easier for them. If I give up, I'm not giving just I'm not just giving up on myself. I'm giving up for the countless of other men and women who are coming home who are trying to do the right thing. And I think the misconception is that if you've been to prison, you're coming home and you are just returning to a life of crime. And that isn't the case for most of us. Yeah. Asia, I really appreciate uh, you coming here and being as honest as you're being about uh about your life and uh, and what's going on. Uh, let's get back to the phones here. Uh, Mary, or May, I'm sorry, in Southfield. May, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Thanks hey. for having me. Uh-huh. Uh, I want to I say I, I, I think what Asia is going through is courageous, and I want to wish her much fortune and success in her endeavors. I also want to say uh, to the city of Detroit, I want to thank them for taking a step um, to leveling the, the the playing fields for uh, returning citizens, uh, being a returning citizen myself, and and facing um, discrimination within uh, employment, you know it's it's very challenging at times. Uh, and for someone as courageous as Asia, uh, going through what she's going through, and still pushing forward, not only for herself but for others, I think that's wonderful. I think that's a beautiful thing. Hmm. So I just want, I just wanted to really make that comment. Yeah, I'm no. not surprised with with you of them and continuing to. Uh, let me first say when I was incarcerated, I was in a program called Inside Out. I was incarcerated yeah. within uh, Michigan Department of Corrections. Now I'm familiar with that and, program. Yeah, and I was a uh, part of it. Um, and it's it's odd, you know they they are okay with coming into MDOC or to the uh, into the prisons and studying um, inmates to an extent. But now uh, the discrimination, you know, it's, it just just doesn't cease to yeah. amaze me uh, of their, I don't know, somewhat bigotry still. Hmm. But yeah, May, yeah. I really appreciate uh, the call and 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 keep doing what you're doing, trying to to make things better for yourself and uh, for other people who have uh, these issues. I really appreciate the call. Let's go to Derek in Houston, Texas. Derek, welcome to Detroit today. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Can you hear me? I can. Okay, good. I was. I, I have a lot of issues with this. For one thing, I'm an ex felon. I haven't had been in any any you know incidents with the police since 2010. But I do have issues even here in Texas with obtaining an apartment, renting an apartment because they do ask about that. Hmm. But that's not my issue. What 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 I was listening to was. Uh, well, the way I see this thing with this University of Michigan, this is actually, to me, it seems like, seem like a form of someone, it's a lawsuit, a class action lawsuit, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a sneaky way of discriminate, using, uh, using discrimination because they know most people of color are people with most likely criminal records. So that's their way, like, you know, secretly trying to keep people of color out of their university. Yeah. You know, and and also uh, one of your callers that was a student, he said that he had got an email, and you know it was like no way he could respond back. It seemed like there was, like I say, a sneaky way of coming to a conclusion and making a decision without any, you know. Anyone having any say? Sure. Yeah, Derek, um, I, I I really appreciate the call. Uh, in the the insights there, uh, Heather, you, you do a lot of work in this area. Obviously, um, uh, talk about the the racial context of it. Like Derek is saying, 
is this a, is this a sort of quiet way to just make it harder for people of color to be part of the university community? Well, the one thing that is just unequivocally the case, if you look at the history of the criminal justice system in this country, is that policing has never been distributed evenly across the population. Uh, charges have never been distributed equally, and certainly convictions have never been distributed equally. Those have always been racialized. They have always targeted the poorest uh, folks of color and the most marginalized folks in general in this country. And for that reason, uh, if you pass a policy that discriminates against folks with a conviction, you are ipso facto inherently and inevitably also passing a policy that's going to weigh much more heavily on communities of color. And, you know, I think even if we were, like, we could just step aside for a second and say, you know, we can leave that to the lawyers to fight out uh, in a, a potential suit, as the caller mentioned. The thing that I really want to stress for, uh, I know there are people people listening who are really keep, they just can't quite walk away from the safety issue. And I I just want to really bring this back to that and remind us that if we have a society where 200 people a day are returning to the city of Detroit or countless people just nationally are returning home from prison, and if we decide that those people have no place to live, no place to work, no place in our society, uh, it does not take a PhD to understand that that actually makes our society society much less safe. It creates people without income, without shelter, without community. And so I really do want to bring it back to this question of public safety. We are serious about that. We want to have a dialogue about that. And the first way to help that happen, even on the campus of the University of Michigan, is to get rid of these discriminatory policies that put people in jeopardy. And frankly, if people lose their job, they're in jeopardy. If they lose their community, they're in jeopardy. And if they lose their housing, they're in jeopardy. So I I really want us to remember that. And also as parents, I am a parent of three kids, one of whom's at the University of Michigan. And I don't want a a university where the safety of my child depends, at least ostensibly, on discriminating against someone else. We have many, many better tools in our toolbox to do that. Okay. Heather Ann Thompson, professor of history at the University of Michigan. Always great to have you with us here on Detroit Today. Thank you so much. Natalie Holbrook, program director at American Friends Service Committee, Michigan Criminal Justice Program. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much. And Asia Johnson, a returning citizen who hopes to get into the University of Michigan. Thank you for being here as well. Thank you so much. All right, that's going to do it for me today. I will be back tomorrow. Hope you will too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, the community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.